one of the most quotable figures that I know is uh, the Sage of Baltimore, H.L. Mencken. Mencken, for I'm sure many, uh, you might not know who he is, but he lived uh, and died uh, pretty much in the la first part of the 20th century. I think he died in about 1950-some. Uh, he was a, a man of letters, a newspaper editor of the Baltimore Sun. He was a satirist, and he loved to ridicule Christians. He gave us that, that phrase, the Bible Belt, and he once defined a Puritan as that sickening and haunting feeling that someone somewhere was having a good time. He was a witty man. He um, said this, though. Quote, about the knowledge and wisdom, I should say. Quote, we are here, and it is now. Further than that, all human knowledge is moonshine. End of quote. Now, given Mencken's propensity to ridicule and provoke, given that this is still a shockingly destructive or nihilistic statement, think about that. All human knowledge is moonshine. When we turn to the book of Proverbs in the Bible, one will find just the opposite being stated about true knowledge and true wisdom. For instance, hear this in chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold, to get insight rather than silver. Or the very first proverb in verse 7, you have this wonderful verse that many memorize and even make a life verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs commands us uh, to study true knowledge and wisdom. The book is a collection of wisdom. It is a word to the wise, but it is also a warning to the foolish. Today, I want to turn our attention to Proverbs chapter 14 and a few verses in chapter 15. This section takes up a theme that is announced in the very first chapter in the book of Proverbs, and that is true wisdom and how it originates and where it originates. And it says in verse 7 that it originates in the fear of the Lord. Let us look then at uh, some of these verses. And I'll start with verse 26 of verse 14. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. And then verse 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. I want you to notice what these two verses are saying. It is saying that the fear of the Lord 
leads one to security and to life. That's what we want, is it not? We spend all of our efforts in life in one way to, to, to make sure that we are healthy or to extend our lives and also to, to live life with confidence and assurance. But notice what the Proverbs say here. Those things are linked to the fear of the Lord, a basic attitude or orientation that you have in life, the fear of the Lord. A variation of this, of course, is in Jesus' own words. Fear not him who can destroy your body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The basis then for your blessing in this life and in the life to come is simply the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now, this is not a kind of fear that some people have in mind. It doesn't reduce you to to quaking in your shoes, though the holiness of God surely will do that on occasion when you realize how holy and distant he is from us, that he dwells in an unapproachable light. But it is also an attitude or an orientation in life that gives you great confidence to live among your peers and to embrace all that God has made in this world. Now, I want to look briefly, though, at what these blessings uh, are in this world when the fear of the Lord really takes hold and root in your life. And I think this is instructive. The book of Proverbs, of course, in many places is simply a series of thoughts or sayings that are not linked. But it so happens in chapter 14 and part of 15, there is a common theme pretty much, and it is the fear of the Lord, and what that results in your life. The very first thing that I see here is found in verse 30. The fear of the Lord helps you control your mind and your heart. Now look at verse 30 and see what it says. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A healing heart is life to the body, but envy is a rot to the bones. A healing heart. That phrase is used a number of times in the book of Proverbs. It really is talking about a peaceful mind when it refers to a healing heart. A peaceful mind. I might ask you a rhetorical question. How is your peace today? Is your mind at rest 1 Timothy chapter 1 has a magnificent verse that many memorize. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So what you find in Proverbs, you also see in the New Testament. This is not just simply human wisdom. This is divine wisdom. This is divine revelation. The fear of the Lord then very simply helps us think properly about reality. I'm amazed at how much in the New Testament Paul talks about delusions. That people are not living in reality. In fact, God gives the wicked strong delusions from time to time. It aggravates the situation not being in touch with the way things really are. Now this idea of of living in reality is a very important matter, not only in the New Testament, but the ancient Greeks themselves Uh, went on a quest trying to discover what the nature of reality was. The whole idea of philosophy was born to try to give an account of the way things are in themselves. 
How is the real world? How do we get past all the fog, the smoke of life and see life the way it really is? How do you do that? I'm not sure that philosophy can ultimately help beyond a certain point. But what takes you there and what properly roots you and helps you to see life the way it is, is the fear of the Lord. After all, it is this one who has made all things to his own glory. The fear of the Lord helps us to think properly about the way things are, to see things the way they are and not uh, given us over to delusion and fear and those kinds of things. Also, notice too, and I'll press ahead here, the fear of the Lord helps us to control our emotions. Uh, that is an important matter. If you look at uh, number 29 of chapter 14, a patient man, a patient man has great understanding. But a quick-tempered man displays folly. Patience here is an interesting word. Uh, it means here to have great discernment. A patient person, a, great, a man means great discernment. An impatient man or woman is a person of folly. Now there's an interesting thing here in Hebrew. The, the Hebrew language in many places is much more descriptive than our own language. We use the word patience, it's rather abstract. But in Hebrew, the word for patience is long-nosed. And the word for impatience is short-nosed. I suppose a long nose takes longer to breathe out the fire. I don't know. But it is associated with patience. You translate that as patience into English. Because it means that you are much more given over to a deliberate process. But if you have a short fuse, you might use the word fuse here, a long fuse or a short fuse. That would be our idiom. But a person with a short fuse is going to get into trouble and, and, and to do many things that they should not. Patience is simply more than a virtue. It keeps you out of trouble. Patience is a wonderful thing. I've thought a lot about patience, even in my own life and in the study of theology. I have actually come to a conclusion. Uh, it's idiosyncratic to say the least, but I've come to this conclusion that all heresies in church history were developed out of an impatience in life. An impatience to do something, to take over, uh, without, without true study and without communing with the body of Christ. I do know one thing, impatience certainly it causes family problems, doesn't it? We are called upon to be long-suffering, for instance, with our children. Are we not? We can discourage them very easily if we are not long-suffering with our children. In relationship between spouses, patience is called for. You know, this idea of a failure to communicate often comes down to how much patience are you going to exercise trying to understand another and to sympathize with them. I do know that a lot of church problems are called by, caused by people jumping to conclusions without really examining the whole thing. Patience is an important matter, and it's controlling our emotions. 
The fear of the Lord enables us not only to control the way we think, but it helps us to control our emotional life. We don't have to be so volatile in life. We can be measured. We can take time to to, to really understand the way things are. And we can take time to formulate what we really want to say from our heart. The emotional life. I will say that if you, the great philosopher David Hume talked about making more decisions based upon our emotional life than upon our intellectual life. I will say this, if you're making more decisions based on your emotions than your reason, you are not in control of your emotions. The true governor of the body happens to be the way you think. And your intellect, it's like the governor on a car or on a vehicle or whatever. It should be in control and not your emotions. The third thing I think here, the fear of the Lord, one of the benefits of living this world with the fear of the Lord, is it helps us control our tongue. Now notice the progression here. It is the thinking, it is the emotions, and now we're talking about the tongue. Uh, When I mentioned the tongue, many of you can remember James and his dealing with the tongue in chapter 3 of his own epistle when he says the tongue is also a fire. It can set the courts of nature on fire. But look at chapter 15 verses 1 and true and see what is said here about the tongue. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. Now, the word uh, here, a gentle answer, turns away wrath, and the tongue of the wise uh, adorns knowledge. Uh, This is talking about, look at verse 4, and helps to sum it up. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. Healing speech is what we are talking about. Rather than wounding speech. But it is impossible to have healing speech and not wounding speech. Impossible to have healing speech if you do not have the first two things right. If you cannot control your thinking... And if you cannot control your emotions, there is no way to control the tongue. You say, well, is this an important matter? Well, my friend, it it, it is an important matter. How much injury is done through the tongue? It is an amazing thing. Uh, I can go into any crowd at any time, any place, and I just heard it in our a little prayer time before the service. Uh, Jay, forgive me, I won't tell things out of the story. But the tongue injures. It hurts. It can wound. An important matter in relationships. How much injury do we do to one another in our families due to our tongues? And how much injury do we do in terms of friendships lost? Oh, that little member is a great, a great uh, instrument, isn't it, for destruction? Um, 
I was uh, with Marlene last night, as I am most nights. <laughs> we were watching television. And uh, she was watching television, and I joined her for a brief bit, and she was watching Lawrence Welk. Any of you ever heard of Lawrence Welk? Some of you young people have not. This probably goes back to 1965. I'm going to guess in there that period. And we were looking at it, and both of us marveled, what, what have, we've lost that era. It no longer exists. It seems so wholesome. Just having fun. An amazing, amazing picture. It dawned on me how different, how different we have become in the last 40 or 50 years. It's just absolutely amazing. And the manner and the demeanor of everyone on the program, uh, it, it looked like a postcard. There seemed to be so much wholesomeness and, and respect. Yesterday, I was standing in line at Walmart. I got in the 20 items are under line, and it was very long, but I thought I would get through there quickly, and then I looked ahead after a while and saw that people had 40 and 50 items. And while standing in line at Walmart, I heard a, a young man, probably about 20. I took him to be a son turn around to a woman probably in her 50s. I took that to be his mother and said some of the most vile things that I could ever hear, I've ever heard in my life online. The problem with that is that it seems to be the norm. We are a much cruder society than we were 50 years ago. It is obvious we're much more profane than we were 50 years ago. Uh, my, I take that to be a serious matter because it seems to me to be a kind of barometer of the direction that we are going in life. But make no mistake, when we get that out of contact and that crude uh, language and out of contact with the way things are, we enter into a state of delusion and insecurity. And there is a lot of it in our society today, isn't there? The problem is that this not only applies to individuals in families and churches, it also applies to nations. Did you notice verse 34? Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Why does this writer throw that in there when mainly he's talking about individuals living in families, living in community? Why the whole nation? Because nations are made up of people. And nations can get delusional and crude as well. I read yesterday in the news that in North Korea, during the time of their mourning for their leader, that if anyone tries to make an escape from that country, and they succeed, or even try, I guess, 
Three generations of their family will be killed. Now you say, oh, that's horrible. It absolutely is. I don't know of a country like North Korea on the face of the earth today. Think how delusional that is. It's beyond the crude. And so the writer says, no, this can happen to nations as well. You know, I think there is a growing mistrust of our leaders of the people in almost every nation. Think about that for a moment, what that means. I'm not talking about the mistrust of people for some of their leaders. I'm talking about the mistrust of leaders for the people. You think it's rooted in this dynamic as well? I think it is. When there is a general loss of the fear of the Lord, there is no right thinking. There's no right emotional response. There's no right way of speaking. We're prone to tell lies and to believe lies. One example, in an in a erudite country like England, I was reading yesterday that in a nursery school, it has come down from the safety and health department that you can't drink coffee, the staff can't drink coffee. And they can't have their muffin. Because somewhere along the line, some bureaucrats don't trust the people to make decisions. Think of that. Now, it's a far gap, I will tell you, between that and what you find in North Korea. But what they have in common is mistrust. All the way down the line, people begin to think delusionally. And mistrust grows. The crudeness is one thing. I suppose it goes with the territory. But the delusional thinking is what breaks down society. Notice what he says. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So, is the fear of the Lord an important matter? My friend, it may be the most important matter in life. When a people or a person has lost the fear of the Lord, everything breaks down. It breaks down. Families break down. Churches break down. Communities break down. Yes, even nations can break down. Because first, persons break down. This is a word to the wise, isn't it? It's a sober thought. It's a sober thought. How important the fear of the Lord is to understand the way things really are, to think properly, to feel properly, and to speak properly. That's real communication. It may be only be possible in a world where people fear the Lord. Praise be to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which restores us to our wholeness. And God has not given us through the gospel a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Amen.